Okay, thank you everyone for joining this, um, the latest Ramen Club AMA with uh, none other than Matt Callery, who's with us now. So Matt is the founder of CV Engineer, a iOS app resume builder with 500,000 plus downloads across iOS and uh, Android. And yeah, we're going to have for the first 40 minutes, we'll have a, a chat between us just about his journey so far and what he's learned growing it to this size and what the future holds. Um, and for the last 20 minutes or so, we'll open it up for audience questions from the community. You can ask him anything. Afterwards, we will be sharing this elsewhere. So you'll get a first look at it, but it will eventually all be on a YouTube podcast and a blog transcript. And uh, yeah, so without further ado, Matt, how's it going, man? Yeah, not too bad. Happy to be here. So yeah, I did a brief intro, just so, you know, high level, you know, what you're doing with CV Engineer, but can you maybe tell us a little bit more about your, just your general like background and how you got into building products in the first place? Yeah, absolutely. So at, at the moment, uh, my day job is I'm an Android engineer. Until recently, I was working for Epic Games, building social media apps, but recently moved to a startup called Tilt, which is building a new e-commerce. So I actually started my career as a headhunter. Uh, I was doing exec search, so mostly hiring senior tech people for banks in London. And then when companies like Monzo started to launch, like CTOs, chief data officers, et cetera, and quickly realized that what they were doing was much more interesting than what I was doing, which was a pretty soulless sales job. I quit it, went back to university, did a computer science master's, and since then have been working on various things in the London tech scene. But CV Engineer came out of that computer science master's. And so at the end, we had this like ancient professor who always set everyone their like final project was to build this Java web app. And I was just like, no one builds Java web apps anymore. So can I just build an Android app in Java instead? And loads of, because I'd worked in recruitment, a lot of people on the master's course were asking me for to check their CV because they're applying for software engineering jobs. And I was just giving everyone like the same advice over and over again. So I was like, I'll build an app that helps people build their resume and like gives all of the like advice and examples that I would normally give them and just packages it into one product. So yeah, that's how it started. And then, yeah, after my master's, I was like looking for jobs and job hunting is really boring. So I was like, I'll carry on building it and launch it on, on the Play Store and see if anyone downloads it. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like they certainly have been. But before we get into a bit more on that, I'm just curious, you started TV Engineer while you were doing your master's course, but was that the first kind of business you'd made or when you were younger were you kids like starting lemonade stands and stuff or was it started doing that a bit later yeah no I, I wasn't one of those kids at all like the least entrepreneurial child um just yeah wholly focused on like playing sport and my academic yeah I don't have any stories about like door-to-door -door sales um <laughs> The, my kind of first interaction with entrepreneurship was the headhunting firm I joined was like a startup. So I was the first employee. The guy who set it up had been like a senior director at one of the like major global headhunters and had decided that uh, be more interesting to set up his own company. So yeah, I guess got a good look at what like early stage business looks like, not a tech business, but still a startup. So like hiring people, unfortunately firing some people yeah how you manage the cash flow for a business in that early stage like how close to the wire you can get like early on before you have like repeatable revenue coming in and yeah like headhunting wasn't necessarily the right profession but the actual like business side of things was really interesting and yeah I guess that's why I got like a taste for, for kind of building my own stuff yeah yeah, that's awesome. I actually had a similar experience before I was doing this. When I was joined an early stage ad agency and 
yeah. just seeing the founders up close you just get a lot of lessons from the you don't always expect yeah and you also realize that they're not like they're not necessarily like these unbelievable business like they're normal people they've just had the balls to go alone and set their own thing up like some risk appetite it's not necessarily that they've got some set of skills that are very difficult to acquire yeah i totally agree that was my, my experience as well and so back to cvng thinking about validation well it sounds like obviously originally you had people like frequently asking you feedback on cvs and so that it seemed like there might be an idea for a product there but were there any kind of after you built it were there any sort of things that you did to try and understand how like high the potential it was for it whether it was worth like really focusing on it so it it was by no means like a new product like quite a lot of apps existed in that category already and on the play store you can see like a rough download number that they're on and some of them were like 10 million plus downloads so i guess like and they were rubbish like you went onto them and it was like everything a mobile app shouldn't be like ads popping up all over the place like UI that looked like it was from the 1990s. And so I was like, there's clearly a demand uh, for this kind of product. So you can see it from the download numbers and like these apps aren't high quality. It's not like you're competing against Snapchat or someone. Yeah. So I guess that was the kind of val- the initial validation that it was worth kind of building it out and launching it and seeing how I did. Yeah. And obviously seeing it grow, it must have made you feel more confident as well. Yeah, yeah, it grew a lot quicker in the early days than I expected. I think um, it took a few months to get up to 10,000 monthly active users. And then maybe in six months, I was up to about 30,000 monthly active users. So yeah, in in terms of user acquisition, it came a lot easier than I expected. I put quite a lot of work into getting those initial downloads. But at the time, I, I wasn't really treating it as a potential business. I was just using it as an example. I had a bigger idea in the recruitment tech space that I wanted to build and raise venture funding for. And because I'd never worked in tech, I just wanted to build a product where I could go, look, I've built this consumer recruitment app. It's got like 30,000 people a month using it. So I know how to build something people want to use. Give me some money so I can build something that actually like prints some cash. So yeah, it wasn't until more recently that I started thinking it could potentially be a business in its own. Yeah, that's pretty impressive, man. That you weren't even working in the tech industry on the side, had this like really popular app kind of thing but in terms of like how you were thinking about it in terms how did you think about like at the point you decided this can be a business did you think about a raw and profitable target or revenue goal that you want to hit one day do you have something like that in your head that you're working towards I mean it's difficult it would it probably need to bring in at least like four thousand a month for Mm. yeah for me to live in London and not have to scale my lifestyle back to when I was 21 and first moved to London again which I could do, but but yeah, I think like 3,000 would be the absolute minimum. That would be like a graduate salary. 4,000 would be, yeah, would probably be the aim if I was to quit my job and work full time. Is that dollars or pounds? Just to check. Pounds. Yeah, yeah, got you. Yeah, living in places like London is a bit harder, isn't it? If we all lived in Chiang Mai, it would be a little bit simpler. <laughs> yeah, if I, was back, if I was back up north in Blackpool, then like you'd probably cut that figure in half, but... Yeah, yeah, exactly. So in terms of like monetization so far, if you don't mind being transparent, like wh- where are you at so far, like in monetizing it? And like also, how do you, does it make money? So it makes about a thousand a month in profit at the moment. So it's probably a quarter of the way to where it needs to be. The monetization's changed a couple of times since I built it. So in the early days, it was literally just a donation model. If this app helps you find a job, you can make an in-app purchase and send me some money. And it didn't actually work that badly, to be fair, but it wasn't 
it wasn't that scalable. Like a lot of users obviously go just, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. So I introduced like more, I changed it for a more concrete in-app purchase model. There are two, there's basically a, a premium version and a free version. And the, the premium version has two, two features at the moment, which people pay for. One is there's a, there's a tool called CV scan, which scans your resume for like common mistakes and tells you how to fix them. Then the other one is there's a free download limit. So you get three free downloads of your CV. And then after that, you hit a paywall and have to upgrade. So that kind of increased the amount of revenue coming in from the business, but only in some countries. So like in the US and the UK, that works pretty well. In countries like India, like literally no one will pay. And I experimented with everything. Like I reduced the price down to like the minimum in-app purchase price Google will allow, which was like 11p or something. Like it literally wasn't worth the time, but I just wanted to see, will they pay at any price? And, and the answer was no. And I was, I was just thinking about it for ages because like I've got loads of users in countries where like making in-app purchases isn't culturally really a thing or they're like reticent to do it. I ended up stumbling on this blog by Duolingo, who obviously have one of the most successful consumer consumer apps. And one of their product managers had written a whole blog post about monetizing in India. So they basically had the same problem I had. India was their fastest growing segment. They couldn't get people to upgrade to their premium subscription. And I was like, if Duolingo can't do it, then I'm never going to be able to do it because they've got like teams of people doing this. So eventually they just gave up and kept, they basically, their free version in India is the same as in the UK, except like even more adverts, basically. So I switched off the in-app purchases and switched in advertising instead in certain countries. And yeah, it's had, it probably makes about a third of the income now from those adverts where previously those countries weren't making anything. So yeah, it has helped a lot. Yeah, that's a really good tip. Are there other countries? So I've actually heard this about um, India before, and that it's not just about if that there's perhaps less purchasing power than the UK, for example, but there's actually just a resistance to want to pay for certain things. But are there like many other countries you've noticed like that while doing this? Yeah, so it, it took some time to, to compile a list. And I started from the top in terms of countries with the most users that just were like the revenue per user was really low and worked down from there. Pakistan's another one where it's South Africa as well is a, a lot of users. And then when I translate it into Spanish, some countries like Spain and Mexico, like I kept the in-app purchases, but other countries like Colombia and Argentina, just no one was making no one was buying it. So I, I switched mm. on advertising there. So on a country by country basis, if the user numbers start to grow and I see that no one's paying for it, that Nigeria would be another one, like large English speaking population, not really willing that often to make in-app purchases. This is only, I would add at the moment, this monetization model is only on Android. On iOS, it's just in-app purchases. I have noticed that I'm getting an increasing number of Indian users and even on iOS, literally never pay. So I'll probably have to switch on switch to the same model on iOS as well. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. So that's super interesting. I hadn't really um, thought of that as different models depending on the, the country sort of thing. And it was, I'd love to talk a bit more about your growth tactics because you, what's the latest number of downloads? So at the moment, it's, let me check. It's, it's going up at the moment. It got stuck on about 68,000 and then the last few weeks, it's been going up again. So 79,000 monthly active users over the last month. How many total downloads now? It's probably going up about 
60 to 70,000 a month downloads, maybe. So you you might have, have do you reckon you've reached 600,000 yet? Uh, no, yeah, probably towards the end of the month or the start of June, it'll hit uh, 700. So at some point in this year, it'll hit a million downloads, which is a landmark that I'm looking forward to, yeah. So I'd love to just hear about what kind of tactics you've used for it, but especially like maybe for the lens of, how this changed as you scaled? Because I imagine what you do right at the beginning when you're trying to scrappily get users maybe yeah. slightly different to later on when you're at a bit more scale sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. So at the start, it's it's like the, the app store and the play store have a chicken and an egg problem of if you have no users, no one's rating your app. And therefore, Google and Apple just don't rank you in the organic search results. So People will search for things like CV Builder or CV Maker, like those kind of search terms. Yeah, there are probably like 200 apps that do it. So you're just never going to get found if you if you think people are just going to search for it and find it. So I did, the main thing I did at first was, because I had no money to spend on it, because I just spent a year doing a master's with no income. So I had no marketing, but I went on Reddit and loads of subreddits related to employment. So there were ones like Get Employed or basically every major city particularly in the US has like New York jobs or like Chicago jobs so I just went in all these subreddits and posted saying I'm a former executive recruiter turned software engineer I've built this app to help people find jobs I will give you free CV advice if you give me product feedback and that got a lot of people using the app like people were pretty generous with rating it I think because at the time it was completely free with the donation model. And obviously, like I was giving them outside of the app advice on the CV they built through the app as well. And yeah, that I think that combination of so this was just the Android app, but the backlinks, obviously, Google loves backlinks and indexes Reddit pretty highly because I was getting quite a lot of upvotes on these posts. Like it would be the top posts of the day on most of these job related subreddits. So I was getting backlinks. I, like my user numbers were going up. And if your download numbers start to go up, Google starts to rank you higher. And then you start to get more downloads and it starts to go up. And basically Google like eventually works out the level where you should sit in the search results. And then the ratings as well, like they heavily index, like getting the more ratings you can get as long as the average rating is good, like the, the higher they're going to rank you. So though, that kind of feedback loop meant I went from nowhere to for a time in the UK I was like number one for pretty much every search result until a year later they changed the algorithm which we can get into but like for a year I was the number one ranked CV maker yeah in the UK and doing pretty well in the US as well yeah that's awesome um where did you learn about to get backlinks from Reddit and obviously the ratings? Was there like any resources you saw or advice you got? I'd read a load of tech. I'd read a load of the like standard tech business books at, at university. I, ca I can't remember. I think possibly there was one that was literally called something stupid, like how to build a billion dollar app. And it was written by a guy who'd been one of the founders at Halo, which was like an early version of Uber, basically like an Uber competitor that at some point reached unicorn status. And he was basically like, here are all the steps we went through to build Halo. And here's what you could do to do the same for your app. And I think there was a section on like generating backlinks for your app and getting ranked in, in, in the Play Store. So yeah, I think that's where the idea came from. It's really interesting. Now, did you think much about App Store optimization at that point as well? No, not early on. I, I didn't really know 
much about it other than at the time I knew the Play Store ranks backlinks quite heavily. I think they've decreased. It still helps, but I think they've decreased their reliance on that. So I was just focused on those thing, two things early on, like App Store optimization came later. Yeah. Gotcha. All right. So yeah, so you started off posting on Reddit, focusing on getting ratings, uh, mm. backlinks. So that kind of got you off the ground. So how did things evolve growth-wise since then? So for that first year, it, it reached about 30,000 monthly active users. And then I left it to work on the other recruitment tech idea I was working on. So occasionally, like I would update libraries and stuff, but I basically just left it to tick along. And then one week I looked at my like analytics and just my user numbers had crashed like down from 30,000 to, I think they eventually hit like 8,000 a month. A quick Google revealed that they, they changed the Play Store algorithm. They'd done like their biggest ever update to it. And like loads of developers just overnight had lost like a massive chunk of their use base. Um, and it, it was so bad that Google actually had to reveal some of the changes that they've made, which they don't usually do. Some guy, like the product manager for the Play Store did this talk where he was like, we've been running some A-B tests on our side and we've basically discovered that these three factors are the most important, like more than backlinks, more than ratings. It was crash user retention and daily active user engagement. So they were like, those three things are now what we're most heavily ranking on. And that wasn't terribly buggy, but it wasn't like perfect either. So like the crash rate, could have been better and is now much better. But yeah, I like those three factors, I was clearly doing worse than some of my competitors. And yeah, just completely tanks the user base for a while. And it wasn't until I started working on it, maybe a year and a half ago, that started to turn around when when I so I had to ditch the the recruitment tech business I was trying to build when the pandemic hit. VCs weren't keen to invest in recruitment businesses, like recruitment tech businesses when nobody was hiring. So I started working for Epic Games as a mobile engineer. And then I was basically using the app upskill in my spare time. And I started to like work on the crash rate and work on increasing retention and daily active user engagement, et cetera. So yeah, I think it's, it's now the case that like, you really do need to look at your apps, like health metrics. So like my crash rates now that I think it's like 99.9% of sessions are crash free application, not responding rate, which is when your app like freezes for a certain number of frames, got that right down. Uh, and I guess like it, it makes sense because obviously if like your app crashes a couple of times, someone's just going to delete it. So then you're not going to retain that user. But also if, they, if, if it crashes, they're probably not going to pay for it either. So it affects the revenue. And also the Google did this study where crash rate is directly linked to average rating. So the most common reason for a one-star review is the app keeps crashing or the app's buggy, etc. So they were right, but it was incredibly painful to see, I don't know, two thirds of, like it wasn't bringing in a huge amount of money at the time, but like the money was useful. Yeah, to see two thirds of that just disappear overnight was a shock to the system. And it's one of the reasons why like my like, if I was to focus on this full time my like level of ramen profitability might be a bit higher than other people is because i know for a fact that google could just take some of that away like literally overnight wow that's crazy so it sounds like the google algorithm is maybe more of a concern than the ios one yeah potentially but I ios could do the same i think they're just less prone to mess around with it probably because they make more money out of it so they've got more to lose by changing it but yeah i think since, to be fair, since then, I haven't noticed any major 
algorithm changes that have just suddenly collapsed my user numbers. Yeah, but you can never say never. Okay, so to summarize, so it just sounds like your main like source is just making sure the app, the Google and iOS algorithms are playing nice for people searching for resume builders. Do you ever use anything like uh, paid acquisition or create content as well? Or is it the, the main focus just to make sure that you're filling fulfilling those metrics that they, they look for. Yeah, so it's it's predominantly been a focus on on organic acquisition. So I, I actually had a call at some point, I think it was end of last year with is it Guillaume, who's in Roman Club, who builds oh, yeah. the brand that yeah. He's on the call actually. Is he? Yeah. Yes, I am. Bye guys. Hello guys. <laughs> hey, how's it going? Yeah, yeah, he walked me through the app store optimization steps that that he's taken and, and following I think over the last six months, like two things have, have taken the app from 20,000 users or wherever it was to, to 70. And one of them was translating into other languages, like particularly Spanish has had a massive effect. Like I think Mexico is now my fourth highest country by user numbers. And the other was like a bigger focus on, on app store optimization. So using an ASO tool at Bradar to update my the like description so that I get like more results from or more users from long tail searches in the app store and play store and then running a b tests on the app icon and and the app screenshots like had a major effect as well like a 30 percent increase in users from from designing uh new assets for the app store 30 percent conversion in, in increase yeah wow oh yeah i remember you shared this before yeah you showed yeah. the new, yeah you just updated the logo that's crazy yeah, and I, yeah, it, was, it was something like 38% increase in, in conversion rate just from changing the logo. Yeah, and then like a bigger focus on prompting users in-app for ratings to boost those numbers as well. Mm. That's awesome. No, that's really comprehensive. Thanks. Yeah, love hearing how it kind of changes at uh, different stages as well. And what would you say is what has been like the sort of lowest point so far in, in building uh, CV Engine and how do you get out of it? Or was it that Android update? Yeah, that was the worst point. Yeah, there's there's not been anything. I'm trying to think if there's been anything else, but yeah, that was definitely the worst point, just like a complete collapse. And when I built back, it, it wasn't the same for quite a while in terms of when the users started coming back, they were predominantly outside the UK and US for a while. I think that algorithm change made it a lot more competitive in the most lucrative market. So it's taken a lot of work to get back up there. In terms of paid user acquisition, I only do it when Google send me like a voucher, basically. So I do it and then I stop my campaign and then they send me like £400 free if you like start your campaign again or something. And then I do £400 of paid advertising and then switch it off. So it's not really a like repeatable strategy. I'm not the right person to talk to about paid acquisition. Sure. That's thrifty. I like it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then yeah, content, I haven't really tried either, largely because it's such a competitive market. Like I'd be competing against Indeed, Monster, LinkedIn. Mm. Like there are so many recruitment related websites that are some of the biggest websites in the world. So writing content about like how to write your CV. Like it's useful in the app to help guide people through the process, but mm. I've not tried it as an SEO tactic because I'd have to go for like the longest of long tail content to, to get any kind of traction, I think. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. That's a, it's a, a tough market. But um, on the other hand, I do think it's an interesting learning because you know, indie hackers, I believe, have a tendency to try and always do something like that's completely brand new and hasn't been done. Whereas you you created an app in like an already crowded market that's still got like lots of traction and you're doing it in your own way. And it probably will get you to 
your run profitable target at some point. And I, I do think that more people should consider just trying to do something like a little bit different or better just in an already validated market. Yeah, that's the obvious. Yeah, there's the advantage of people are looking for an app like that. If you create something completely new, then you might have to educate the market or you're going to get a small number of users in a certain subreddit, but it's going to be hard to grow. The advantage is that if it takes off, then it's really going to take off because you're going to be the number one from the get-go. But it probably is easier to build it in a market where there's demands, but the existing products are pretty, pretty awful. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And is there anything you would have done made very differently if you could start again now? <clears throat> I'd be a lot more aggressive on pricing earlier on. I think if I was to build an app again, if, if it was the kind of same like global consumer app, I would just go for advertising from the get-go in certain markets where I know people aren't going to, I wouldn't bother like trying to experiment with pricing in those countries. I don't think it's worthwhile. And then I think I can still be more aggressive with pricing. Like I a few weeks ago, moved my prices up by 30% and my revenue just immediately went up by 30%. Like there was no, <clears throat> I should probably do it again. Yeah. Be more aggressive with, with testing different pricing models because like most people aren't going to pay for the app. So those that do, you want to make as much money out of them as possible. And I think because it was a side, because I just thought of it as a side project, I wasn't really thinking about it with enough like ruthlessness in terms of trying to monetize it, thinking, oh, People use my app because there are no adverts. So I don't want to introduce adverts. Whereas users in those countries are, are used to adverts because it's basically the only way to make money. And yeah, being probably being too thirsty in pursuit of users over revenue. Like it'd be better to have 20,000 users by making loads of money than to have 100,000, but they're giving me one P each or something. Yeah, I'm sure other people are listening with side projects and day jobs. I would love to know, how do you approach balancing having a busy day job with a project like this as well yeah it can be difficult it's quite slow like slow pace of movement typically i'm either working on it in the evenings or or like one day over the weekend for example yeah i do sometimes think i'd love to have just two weeks where i could focus on it at the expense of everything else but yeah that's the kind of balance you've got to find like some weeks i do nothing on it and then some weeks i'll do quite a lot it depends like what my social life is like but yeah it's obviously like my rate of development isn't as quick as people in the group who've quit their job and gone full-time so i guess that depends on your risk profile if you're willing to take the plunge then like obviously your development's going to be quicker but i guess i'm not like I'm not 100% certain that this business can like make enough money for me to live up, but I am confident that it can make enough money that like it will be a very useful side stream of revenue if I do carry on working as a software engineer during the day. But yeah, I guess the dream would be that it makes enough money that I can either work on it full time or it affords me the time to work on a bigger project that's got more obvious monetization prospects. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really interesting scenario. And one of the last questions for me before I think we start opening up for audience questions is where, what do you see as the future for TV engineer? Do you have a kind of vision for it or just try and make a nice enough side, rev, uh, side revenue that you can have a bit more freedom? Yeah, I, th I think my, my thinking is basically that to get it to a point where it's making enough money to be useful, either that I could afford to work full-time for myself or it's making enough money that I can save up to work for a period by myself to build something new that makes more money. I think it's probably capped in and of itself in terms of 
how lucrative it could be, largely because it's a really competitive market. Like as a generalization, people looking for jobs, not necessarily the most lucrative target market. Like quite a lot of the people that use it are unemployed or they're students looking for their first job or they're using it because they've been out of work for a while and they like need the advice and examples to help them put together a CV that can get them into it. Yeah, it's, it's not like selling to, to software engineers or it's, it's not a lucrative target market. Got you, got you. Do you have any early ideas for if you did decide to pursue a more higher potential revenue idea? Are there any uh, early ideas for that or are you still thinking about it? There's one in the exec search space, basically selling software to exec search companies. I, I think it would be lucrative. It's just... I don't know if, if that's what I want to do anymore. That's what I was trying to do before the pandemic, because obviously that's where my background was. No one really builds software for that market because the kind of narrative for the last 10 years has been software is going to kill the recruitment industry. So what's the point of building software for the recruitment industry if it's going to die? But I think it's pretty obvious now that it's not going anywhere. Like people need recruiters. But yeah, the, the problem with working for Epic Games is you see like all the cool stuff that you can do with tech. And so, yeah, I, I don't know at the moment. I've got a few ideas, but nothing concrete. Awesome. Well, yeah, looking forward to seeing how you progress with things. And yeah, thanks very much, Matt. So now I think we can open up to questions from the community. So if anyone, if you just fancy posting your question in the chat, and then I'll just read it out just so it's uh, easier for listeners to understand what's going on. So first question from Ostap. How are you doing, Ostap? So Matt, have you tried alternative, an alternative Android app store such as F-Droid? I'm not sure you're familiar with that one. I'm not actually. I'm aware there are alternative ones. To be honest, I, I don't really know much about them. I don't know how easy it is to make money. All of my money is handled through the app store and Play Store in-app purchase mechanics, which like whilst they take an annoyingly high cut of your revenue are very easy to use. Yeah. I don't know what a monetization mechanics would be on something like F-Droid. Yeah. Cool. Thanks for that question, Ostap. Any other questions from the audience? So a question from Guillaume. Did you think to create a web version to eventually leverage web search? Yeah. Yeah, I do think about it quite a lot. I think the obvious advantage is that like most, a lot of people when they're putting together their resume, they don't think I'll use my mobile phone for it. They obviously use Microsoft Word or Google Docs on their laptop. I guess there are two things holding me back. One, I know nothing about web development. So there'd be a learning curve. And two, I guess my thinking has always been, can I make enough money from the mobile apps? that it makes sense to build a web version to make even more money. Because I think probably you could make more money from a web version. Like typically web products charge a higher, which I think is what Graham's just said. Yeah, avoid the cut. And it would probably be better for cash flow as well because Google and Apple just pay you once a month. And they usually, I think they, Apple has 45 day payment terms. So it takes ages to get the cash in the bank from those in-app purchases. Whereas on web, you'd be getting it like every week from Stripe. But yeah, I, I think if I can get the mobile app to a point where I think the revenue from that is interesting, then I probably will build a web version. Yeah, that's, yeah, it would make a lot of sense. Out of interest from uh, another question from me, what is the take rate for the Play Store versus the iOS? Um, so it changed actually largely because my former employer, Epic Games, sued both of them for how high the take rate was. So it was, it used to be 30%, which is crazy. And Epic and Google, uh, sorry, Apple and Google did something really clever where, because obviously every indie mobile developer in the world got behind Epic suing them about this because 
they were losing, everyone was losing loads of money. They said, if you make less than a million dollars a year on the App Store or, and Play Store, like separately, we'll reduce that to 15%. So it's now 15% for me because I'm making less than a million on both. But they make 90% of their revenue from the companies that are making more than a million a year. So it right. doesn't help companies like Spotify or Epic or et cetera, but it kind of took most of the indie developed out of the equation. Yeah, because 15% isn't terrible. Like the best you can get on any platform is probably like 10% on any equivalent, like Epic Online, even like the Epic Online store is 10%, I think they take. So 15% isn't. And if I ever make more than like a million dollars on one of the platform a year, then like I'm not going to be worried about losing like going up to 30% that much. Yeah. Too busy drinking pina coladas in uh, Miami to worry about that. Yeah, I'll be on a beach. I? <laughs> Good, <laughs> <stuff>. <laughs> Good question. Mossap, so what technology stack have you? do you have for it? So both apps are completely native. So the Android app was originally Java. And then when I got my job at Epic, this is going on YouTube, isn't it? I basically lied and said I knew how to write code. I knew how to write and copy. Like I'd, I'd started to learn, but I didn't really. So like my first month at Epic, all day I was writing code in Kotlin and then all night I was rebuilding my Android app in Kotlin to learn as fast as I could. And it was during one of the like major lockdowns. So there wasn't anything else to be doing. So yeah, I rebuilt the Android app in Kotlin, which has made it much, it's now much faster to develop it. Uh, and then the iOS app is Swift. I think if, if I was to build again, so when I was Epic, I was an iOS and Android engineer, so I worked across both. And their tech stack was they used something called Kotlin multi-platform for the business logic, which means you only have to write it in Kotlin and then it can be used by both your iOS app and your Android app. And then you write the you write the UI code natively in Kotlin on Swift, depending on the platform. So it's like the best of both worlds. You get 50% of your code, you only have to write once but you still get all of the advantages of having native UI versus using something like React Native. So yeah, if I was going to build a new app, I'd probably build a Kotlin multi-platform app. Yeah, makes sense. So a question from Alex, I guess is about your like roadmap, how it evolved over time. So how much your MVP changed from the, the current version? So did it have all the features at the beginning or how did you progressively approach adding them at a high level? Uh, I, I guess the, the basic version was just, it was a form, it was various forms, you fill them in and it spits out a PDF that would be formatted and there was like, there was one template that it would output. So um, it was basically, if you, if you didn't like that CV template, you weren't going to use the app. Um, and then I added a field. I added a button to every screen on the app, which was how could we improve this app? And it opened up a little text form and then I'd get an email from them. And obviously because it's a consumer app, you'd get lots of ones like, lol, this app is shit. And, but you'd, you'd get some useful stuff through and I just kept a spreadsheet of, of feature requests. And then that was basically like my product prioritization was the most requested feature I'd build it. So I'm now at the point where the most requested feature is more templates, like better templates, basically. Yeah, I need to sit down and, and put some time into that probably. But I think that's also probably the next way that I'm going to try and make more money off the app is premium templates. Uh, I was reading, there's, there's an indie hacker who... 
I don't think he actually built the original business, but he bought it for basically nothing. A company called Visual CV, which was like a web version of CV Engineer, effectively. He wrote a blog post about taking it from nothing to, I think him and his co-founder were making like tens of thousands a month. Yeah, they were like the main reason to upgrade to their premium subscription was premium templates. And they're like, it's a well-known monetization path. That's how Canva makes money, etc. Yeah, that's probably the next feature and that's, the next way that I'm going to try and make more more money. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, question from Jack: How did you persuade Epic to sue Apple? Uh, uh, <laughs> Tim Sweeney didn't need any persuading. Um, <laughs> a very litigious man. Yeah, he. I think they'd started that lawsuit before I joined. It just reached the stage where it got to court in the US while I was there. So. Yeah, every month at our like company-wide meeting, the general counsel would give us an update. And it was the US legal system stupid. There was one day where they were arguing, Apple's lawyers were arguing that Peely, the banana that's like the icon of Fortnite, was sexual because it's naked. And the, <laughs> the, the epic lawyer was like, it's a banana. <laughs> like, so let's have a why, jump why, why would a banana wear clothes? And then they like mocked up like this banana wearing like a full suit uh, <laughs> basically just to say the piss but but yeah it was an interesting lawsuit epic actually lost largely because their lawsuit wasn't their lawsuit was that it's a monopoly that ios and android is a monopoly and the judge was like it can't be a monopoly because there's two of them so it's a duopoly at best but the lawyer did say in his like judgment that if instead of going after the monopoly argument you'd gone after 30 percent is like too high a tax on the internet, then I would have been much more interested. So I think now yeah. like Spotify are taking them to court on that basis. Thirty yeah. percent is too high. Yeah, which is it's way too high. It's crazy. Yeah, it's it's a lot. It's a lot, and I can't even imagine the number of lawyers' fees spent on on a case like that as well. Well, the bigger cost was Ep Fortnite was the biggest iOS app in terms of revenue when it got. So when it reached court Fortnite from the App Store, and it's still banned from the App Store, and I think, I can't remember what information I have on it is privileged. Sorry, I just muted uh, Abbasa. No worries. Yeah, I can't remember what's, what information is privileged, but like, it was honestly an, an insane percentage of App Store revenue was Fortnite, like double digit. So yeah, it cost Apple Epic tens of millions, hundreds of millions probably, just in App Store fees. Never mind legal fees. Wow, that's absolutely nuts. And so another question from Alex. So we may have touched on some of this earlier, but aside from the subreddits you mentioned, how else did you reach your target users? Were there any other channels? So I guess apart from like obviously the app store itself and subreddits, were there any other sources apart from those? I don't know if this counts, but what, one of the main ones that I focused on was getting people to share the app, so making it really prominent. It's actually something I'm working on right now. It's, it's on the main menu, but as the main menu's got longer, like the share button moves further and further down. I was doing some digging into my like revenue data the other day. A surprisingly high percentage of revenue came from people who'd had the app shared with them, so like direct rather than like searching through the place. I guess it's because it's come recommended by someone else. So there's probably a higher level of trust and therefore they're more likely to pay. So yeah, I put a big emphasis on on sharing the app and I think Google, I don't know, but I would guess that Google like 
rank that favorably if you've got people sharing your app and they're downloading it directly then obviously you're getting more downloads you're getting more revenue more ratings which helps with your organic search i'm trying to think if there were any like actual marketing channels but Mm. i honestly don't think i think one thing that would help that i've not tried is getting backlinks from major news sites like a few medium-sized publications without any effort from me have written about here are the top like five cv builders on android or something but yeah a backlink from like a major news website i think would help shore up the ranking it would be less volatile but i have no idea how to do that so if anyone does know how to do that message me (laughs) matt thank you so much for taking the time to uh talk through your story your journey so far of us Uh, super interesting thanks everyone for joining and for uh, asking such a thoughtful question as mentioned this will be shared in a few places so I'll, I'll let you know when the recording and transcript is up and running but yeah everyone enjoy your weekends and thanks a lot matt yeah any more questions just ping me in the slack happy to answer absolutely thanks very much man appreciate it